This is Paul Schneiderman on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. This is the eighth edition of my show. Today I have a special guest, Jen Mueller. Jen, hang with me for a minute. I'm going to give a little background on you for the listeners, okay? All right. Many of us in the Pacific Northwest have seen Jen on the on the uh, TV and also listener on the radio. Jen has been a sports commentator, broadcaster in the Seattle area now for most of the century. As part of my pre-show research, I've had a chance to learn a little bit more about Jen. She is far from one-dimensional. Jen is also, among other things, an author, speaker, piano teacher, organist at her church, business consultant, and she's also been a football referee. I'm going to have to ask Jen how she has a chance to sleep at night. Jen, Jen has written two books. One is uh, Talk Sport to Me, Thinking Outside the Box Scores, which came out about 2013. Jen also recently published a new book called Game Time, Learn to Talk Sports in Five Minutes a Day for Business, uh, where Doug Baldwin of the Seahawks wrote the forward to it. Jen is the founder in 2009 of Talk Sporty to Me, which helps people add sports conversation skills to their business success. Jen's a graduate of Southern Methodist University in 2000 with a degree in public policy and broadcast journalism, I believe. And today we're going to learn more about Jen's career and get her thoughts on some sports issues. First of all, Jen, thank you for coming on Sports and Stuff. Absolutely. That's a pretty impressive intro. And I do want to point out one thing. The latest book is called The Influential Conversationalist. That's the one that Doug Baldwin wrote the foreword to. So that's the one. Not that you can't check out the other two books because they're awesome, but that's the new one that you should be looking out for from me. Thank you for the correction. I did not know there was three books. I appreciate that, Jen. Jen, you are a graduate of Southern Methodist University. Can you share with us how you developed the bug as a young person to go into broadcast journalism? You know, um, sports was always part of kind of the DNA of who I was. It's something that we talked about in our family. My brother and I were both athletes in high school. But I did not think that a career in sports journalism was really possible. My high school guidance counselor kind of brought me in one day as you're going over, you know, which colleges are you applying to and things like that and said, you know, um, have, have you ever given any thought to broadcasting? You know, you like to talk a lot. You're not afraid to talk in front of people. I think that could be a really good career for you. And up until that point, I thought I was just going to be a third-grade Lutheran school teacher. So um, she got me thinking about something that was completely different. And once I started going down that path, I thought sports is what I like to talk about most. And that's how I ended up pursuing that career. Well, I went to law school, so I like to talk a little bit too, Jen. We have that in common. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we do. Jen, I you have... probably like to argue a little more than I do, though. Well, you, you never know. Jen, I <laughs> want to ask you a question. We're going to hit a lot of fun subjects and more serious subjects as well today. Now, you have mentioned in, I believe, an interview or two that you faced some sexism when you were a young reporter in Texas, but apparently in the Seattle area, things have been better in terms of, uh, of that issue. Through the bad experience that you had, Jen, in Texas, do you have any advice to young female reporters and others trying to break into the media business about how to address sexism and sexual harassment? You know, here's what I would say. Don't go looking for it and don't assume that your job is going to be so much harder than anybody else's. It is hard to succeed in this industry. It's hard to be a successful professional regardless of what your industry is. And I think that there's, um, you know, certainly there's some things that you need to be aware of. 
but you control a whole lot more of that than you think. And it's a chapter in the book on how your communication style impacts how you are viewed at work and can actually reduce some of the sexism that's perceived by a lot of people out there. If you tell yourself it's going to be harder, it most certainly will be. And if you tell everybody else that it's so hard to be in the industry, they're not going to want to join you. So what I would say is apply the best intent to what you're going into. Don't assume it's going to be harder. Don't look for people to treat you badly. Do your job. Pay attention to what you're doing. Control what you can control. And that's the best way to approach it. Appreciate your feedback, Jen. Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Jen Mueller. Jen, I've read that you, you've you been a football referee, and you're certainly a lady, not afraid to participate in a traditionally a very male-dominated field. How did you become a football ref, and do you believe your experience as a football referee has helped you as a football reporter? Yes, most definitely. So that came about because I was a... Uh, I was an athlete in high school, not good enough to play in college. I was kind of the try-hard athlete. You know, I'd give you a lot of minutes in the basketball game. I'd give you a lot of rebounds, but I was never going to be your point guard that was going to run the offense for you or, or be the flashy player. I could like to that. College, uh, yeah, <laughs> when I got to college, I wanted um, a chance to compete at something and to stay in shape and to be around sports, and intramural officiating was the thing that I fell into. And I thought I was going to be a basketball official because that was kind of the sport that I played most growing up. But football season came around first, and they gave me a call and said, we'll train you, you know, we'll, we'll give you the equipment that you need to do it, but we could really use some officials. And it took a, a couple of weeks and a couple of games for me to comfortable with that, but then I fell in love with it, and it was something that I really loved doing, and the competitive nature took over, and once I reached a certain level at the flag football level, which is what you play for intramurals, I decided to become a high school football official, so I spent 10 years doing that, and it was most certainly with the intent of being able to separate myself from other people who wanted to do my job. That's great. Very unique. Watch a football game in a different way. Yeah. Absolutely. Jen, you've been a Seahawk radio sideline reporter, I believe, since 2009. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Well, I have been. Well, let me ask you a quick question. We'll get a little deeper in a second. How is it working with two prominent football guys, Moran Moon and Steve Rabel? They are the most gracious and humble broadcasters and broadcast partners that I could imagine. They are fantastic. Their stories are great. Our Saturday night dinners before games when we're on the road are really fun. I am certainly lucky and blessed to be part of their broadcast team. Can I bid on an auction item with Mueller, Moon, and Rabel? <laughs> you know, I don't know that we put together one of those, but I'm sure that uh, we could come up with something there. Yeah. Love it, love it. Yeah, you, you probably need it for more, the, more of those guys. But, there, no, no, uh, you, you as well. Jen, they're good. so I want to ask you a question about your preparation as a football radio commentator. How, how detailed and deep do you go? Do you study the third string players and the practice squad players? How, how detailed are you before games in your pregame research? Well, you know, most of my storylines come from the Seahawks, right? So sometimes you have to know how that relates to the opponent. You, you have to understand where the strengths and the weaknesses of the opponent lie because that changes the storyline 
for the team that I'm focused on, which is the Seahawks. I don't do a whole lot of digging on the third string players and the practice squad guys, but I know who they are, and I have ongoing dialogue with most of those guys in the locker room on a weekly basis. But what I do is look for nuggets of information that are relatable in game in 15 to 20 second increments. So I will end up with about three pages of notes going into a game, knowing that I'm only going to use about 5% of it. You just don't know which 5% you're going to use. And when it's time to use it, you don't have time to be flipping through those three pages. Um, So they're more of reference points during the game. But they send out game notes. I read a lot of articles. I'm talking to the guys constantly. So it's almost by osmosis by the time you get to this point in the season and doing it so long with the team. But, yeah, you're you're just looking for that quick hit, and you're also observing a lot of what's happening during the game and on the sidelines. Interesting. I think we all learned a little more about the kind of pregame research that football reporters do. Jen, as you and I know and everybody knows, there's been some controversy in the NFL this year with some of the -the off-the-court issues, in particular involving the, the national anthem. It seems right now that the pro-Trump people, the pro-Kaepernick people, people in between all seem a little angry at the NFL right now. And the NFL ratings are down. Do you think the NFL is going to get back, Jen, to where the NFL was in terms of ratings and TV TV ratings uh, before this whole uh, this whole episode with the national anthem began? Well, I think that there's a lot of factors that are influencing ratings, including, and probably most importantly, the way that fans watch games. And the way that they're watching sporting events, whether it's the NFL or baseball games or March Madness games, is certainly changing. You know, it used to be you watched a game until something interesting happened and then you'd turn away once you saw enough. Or if it was boring, you would turn away. But you you always started watching the game. Now fans are watching the Red Zone channel because they just want the scoring and because fantasy football drives a lot of what they're trying to watch. They're not sitting and watching a game start to finish. Heck, you know, when I get a rare Sunday off and I think, man, I'm going to sit down and watch that football game, it only takes about a quarter before I turn to my husband and say, hey, where's the Red Zone channel? Like, I just want to see these guys do something. And so I think that it is way too simple to point to one reason why ratings are down. There's a lot of competition for viewers out there. They watch it very differently, and it's one of the contributing factors to why ratings are different than they have been in the last couple of years. Those are good points. Jen, you've also been a a baseball reporter for many years. We've watched you as a Mariners reporter uh, on, on Root Sports in recent years. Is your preparation for as a baseball reporter similar to that as a football reporter? No, it's different. It's different, um, and i got to be honest, I really like the prep work for a football game better, and here's why. When you only play one game a week, you get a chance to really dive into the matchups, and you get to really know um, – what the storylines are, and and you kind of get to dissect it in more detail. Once you get into baseball season, you are churning and burning from day to day. Now, there's a different level of excitement because you do have games every day, and you're not just talking about the matchup that's a few days out. It changes the way you talk about a game, but you I, I, anyway, find myself not being able to go as in-depth as I want to sometimes because you're so focused on the game that day and trying to stay on top of what you're doing that day. It becomes um, a little bit more of drawing on the knowledge from the night before, 
you know, the interviews before, the guys that you talk to that day, it's a, a completely different way to prep for a game. Not necessarily bad, it, it's just different. Different paradigm, interesting, interesting. Jen, uh, real quick, I don't know, 30 seconds, uh, are you optimistic at all about the 2018 Mariners? I think you're always optimistic, aren't you? There's a lot of good names on paper. There's a lot of good talent on paper. I am one that believes that uh, there's certainly enough talent there to win, as long as you can stay away from that injury bug, especially so early in the season. Well, we need a World Series in Seattle one day, Jen, don't we? I think that that would be a really fun thing to celebrate. Postseason baseball is a lot of fun and very exciting. No doubt about it. Jen, who are some of your, who have been some of your mentors and people you've admired in the sports broadcasting business? Well, I would have to say that one of the ones that I go to most often is my former boss at King 5, Paul Sylvie, who's been there for a number of years. Sure. You know, he was the one before I was even on the air when I was a sports producer over at King. And I was trying to figure out how to break in and, and what I could do. He was the one that would encourage me to, you know, write stories and, and take you know, for lack of a better word, the scraps from the leftovers from interviews that nobody else was using, turn them into my own stories. He would critique them and work with me on how to voice things and how to put it together. And, and uh, he has been a great sounding board, a great resource to me. I don't know that I would have kept going all of those long nights um, and long weeks if there wasn't somebody who was able to give me some of that feedback and validation. And uh, he, he has certainly been a huge help to me during the course of my career. Quite a guy, quite a guy. Um, and uh, this is Paul Schneiderman on Rainier Avenue Radio. I'm the host of Sports and Stuff with my special guest, Jen Mueller. Okay, Jen, so your first book, I want to make sure I have the title of it correctly. I believe it's Talk... That was game time. Game time. The okay. First one was game time. First time's game time. I, I got it. I got them a little botch in the opening, but thank you for the correction. So your first book, Game Time, came out in what? Twenty thirteen. Ooh, that one came out probably, I should know this off the top of my head. I think that was 2010, 2011. Okay, 2010, 2011. So you wrote about a subject that many people have discussed over the years, but you actually put it into writing, the subject of how people can improve their sports communications. And I'm going to call you a pioneer in this whole subject. How did this whole subject of people improving their sports communications come to your attention? How did you write a book about it and become a major figure in this area? Well, the concept of the company, Talk Sporty to Me, and of the first book, came about um, with a group of females who were accountants at KPMG, and they needed some help understanding how and why their male counterparts were entertaining potential clients at sporting events. Those potential clients became clients. Those male colleagues ended up having higher profiles and larger incomes, but it wasn't because they were smarter or had any different level of education. They just understood how to make sports work to their advantage. I realized after this group of women hired me to come out and talk to them, it wasn't just women, it wasn't just accountants. Everybody could learn how to use sports better and to their advantage at work. The problem is, if you don't know where to start, the advice on the internet is terrible. You do not start learning sports by reading a rule book. 
I know this because I was a football official. Sure. I know what a rule book is like. I also know that most fans do not talk about the rules of the game. It's a stupid place to start a conversation because you're going to get frustrated when you can't learn it all at one time or ever, period, and you're going to stop. So I wanted to make sure that when to build their sports knowledge base that was very practical, that they could do in the course of things they were already doing, that's how the first book came about, because it's how to talk sports in five minutes a day. So we go through step-by-step step and make it super easy. That's just great. And through your book, and I know you also do speaking on this subject, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Through your book, can you... I will sh- talk to anybody at any point in time. How's that? Love it. Love it. Through, through your book and your speaking on this subject, can you share with us maybe one or two stories of how some people in the workforce did better improving their sports knowledge and sports vernacular? You know, I think what I hear most is the confidence that people have when they realize they don't have to exit a room or a conversation. And they realize that they are smart enough to stay in there and have a conversation. And I have met with people who have come back and said, you know what, because I was willing to talk about the game on Sunday with my boss or because I was willing to be in that conversation, I was encouraged to apply for a position that was open. And it's not because they knew sports, it's because they were engaged in the conversation and the person who was hiring said, you know what, you would be perfect for this job. You already have the skill set and basically, I like talking to you, you should be applying for this job. And it changed the course of, in fact, this one gal that I'm thinking of, it changed the course of her career because she wouldn't have done that without a little encouragement. She wouldn't have gotten the encouragement without already having a relationship in place and without feeling comfortable. So while it doesn't seem like it's a big deal, Talking sports is how you build relationships. It's how you make people want to talk to you. And when people want to talk to you, they come to you for all different things, not just small talk, but they come to you for your opinion, your advice, and your feedback. No doubt. And sports is definitely a a breakthrough uh, conversation subject for people. So, Jen, I want to ask you something. I I know a few males that are not big sports fans, and they can have Mm -hmm. trouble talking sports Do you think on some levels, Jen, in the workforce, it can be more of a stigma for a male not being able to talk sports than a female on some levels? You know, in many ways, the first book I wrote was written for men. Most people think it was written for women. But you're right. It's kind of a given or assumed that if you're a man, you must know sports or must show an interest in sports. And there isn't anywhere to go if you don't. Because who are you going to admit that to? Are you going to admit that to the woman in the room who's talking sports better than you? Are you going to admit that to another guy? I do think that there's a stigma there. I also think that it doesn't matter. And here's one thing that I try to get folks to understand when I go and do a speaking engagement. I always advocate that you use sports as the starting point in a conversation. For example, what did you think about the Seahawks game on Sunday? I really don't care which direction that conversation goes, but I do care that you get to the heart of what somebody wants to talk about without playing this weird game of 20 questions. 
Because if you're trying to find a common point, I can't have you going, hey, do you like basket weaving? Do you like to drink wine? Do (laughs) you go on hikes? Where's your favorite vacation spot? That sounds like a weird blind date, right? Sure. But if you ask, did you watch the game or what do you think about the game? The answer is going to be either I watched the game or I didn't watch the game. Either is acceptable. And if you're male or female and you're not into sports, that's your chance to say, ah, you know what, I'm not really into watching football. I'd much prefer to be out hiking on the weekends, especially when it was as nice as it was last weekend. And, you know, I've got to get this gear used, you know, before I have to pack it away for the winter or whatever it is. So people shouldn't be scared by it, but you should know where your comfort zone is in that conversation. It seems like your your resources, Jen, really help people with the 100-level side of sports conversations, right? I would think that a lot of what I teach in how to talk about sports, it's good for entry level and kind of those new and novice sports fans or, or the fans who don't really know that they like sports yet. But in the books that followed, it really is about the communication skills that I employ with athletes and coaches. My high leverage conversations look a whole lot different than yours do in a courtroom. Mine happen, though, on live TV or radio with people who sometimes don't want to talk to me but still have to use language appropriate for a viewing or listening audience. You know, um, so those are more of how we take, you know, if you're already a sports fan, how do you take what I do on a daily basis and what you see or hear and apply it to your business setting? This is Paul Schneiderman of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Jen Mueller. Jen, there's a lot of, and, and by the way, really quickly, not everybody wants to talk to me either, but anyhow, that's another subject. Um, <laughs> we know that PE is taught in schools, the K through 12 level, but there's not a lot on sports literacy. Do you think, Jen, that the schools at the undergraduate level and the K through 12 level could do a lot more in, in, in having courses teaching people about sports literacy? I think whether it's sports literacy or just dialogue and communication skills, it's one of the things that we're losing. Um, We're losing the confidence and we're losing the ability in because we are out of practice. There's so many things that make our lives efficient, whether it's ordering groceries that get delivered to your door or getting your coffee on the app so that it's just ready when you walk in the door. You're reducing the amount of conversations that you have during the course of the day. Sports and the field of play is one of the very few places that that doesn't work as an effective communications form. A quarterback isn't going to text his wide receivers what the routes are. The coach can't send an email with halftime adjustments. You see athletes and coaches having real-time conversations. It's a good model. It's good to reinforce how you know you can be talking to your colleagues as well. And so I hope. The, the more I do this and the more books I write, although I'm done for the time being, the people see that, you know, it doesn't have to be hard. Conversations don't have to be hard. Sports talk doesn't have to be hard. There is a place for it, and it can help you in so many more ways than you might realize. Well, like I said earlier, Jen, I really think you're a pioneer in this this aspect of education in terms of improving sports communications. It's very very unique what you've done. Okay, Jen, so you've written two additional books after your first book. Is that correct? Yeah. So the second one was Talk Sporty to Me, Thinking Outside the Box Scores. And that goes into kind of the business development. How do you really take a sports conversation and make it applicable in different business settings? 
And then the most recent one is the influential conversationalist, which is conversation skills that develop leadership potential. That's great. Uh, it, are the books sequels anyway? Or are they are they on different subjects? You know, it's the same underlying theme of using sports and drawing on my experience as a sports broadcaster, because that's really you know the only experience that I have. Um, not quite sequels, but certainly worth a read altogether because it one does in ways build off another. And by the way, how do you have time to sleep at night with all the stuff you're involved in? I'm actually not kidding. I'm not kidding around, Jen. I mean, it's actually a serious question. You know, um, I have certain times of years that are more productive for doing writing, but I will say this. I have, because of the website and because I have a blog that goes out regularly, I have a routine where I write almost every morning at about 7 o'clock in the morning. There's very few sporting events that I ever have to worry about at 7 o'clock in the morning. So that's my time to sit down and write and do what I need to do and create. And so when you decide that you're going to write a book, that 7 o'clock hour becomes book writing time, not just blog writing or email returning or anything like that. So um, I would say that I have learned to maximize the hours in my day and uh, during baseball season I've got more time during the day during football season more time in the evenings which I'm not going to lie I spend a lot of time drinking wine and making dinner <laughs> okay. during football season in the evenings but yeah that's how it gets done very structured person I can tell oh by the way Jen how did you end up in Seattle can you give us a little 30 second story heading up in Seattle as a, as a uh, in the sports business yeah, I my ex actually accepted a job transfer up here, and he was from the area and wanted a chance to get back. I was ready for an adventure, and after we split, I decided the adventure wasn't done, and, and so I stayed, and here I have been. It has been 17 years now, so that is how I ended up in Seattle. Well, you've had quite a run, and what has been your favorite aspect of broadcasting, Jen? Oh, man. You know... It certainly is the relationships with the people that I work with. I spend more time with the people that I work with than my own husband or family during the course of a season. And nothing will ever beat a walk-off interview after a significant win. Felix's perfect game, the Super Bowl win, Kuma's no-hitter, um, and anytime there's Gatorade involved, it is truly an honor and a privilege to be part of somebody else's memory and accomplishment. And that that is unmatched in anything else that I do. No doubt. No doubt. As a fan, it's just fun to watch that stuff. But but I think we're all a little jealous of you, Jen. You're actually out in the field after some of those uh, major events. So, Jen, we're, we're wrapping up here. What what does the future hold for Jen Mueller? <laughs> Maybe some sleep. Certainly some more wine <laughs> drinking. Um, we'll see. I would love to be able to keep creating and writing and getting more people on board with talking sports and just talking more period. So I don't see an end to my broadcasting career anytime soon, knock on wood, God willing, and, you know, fingers crossed that the bosses still like me coming to work every day and my key card still works. But I would see a little bit more of the same and uh, trying to use that platform to help people and to coach them along with their own conversations and career development. Well, I bet some more seminars going for you. Jenna, it's just been a pleasure to have you on. I look forward to having you back one day. Oh, thanks so much, Paul. You take care.